Greetings, friends. Welcome to the Eldritch Grimoire. Today's episode, Chapter 2, Anakin Skywalker and the Two Dragons, begins with a story of an early meeting between nine-year-old Anakin Skywalker and the still newly appointed Chancellor Palpatine, shortly after the events of the Phantom Menace. It opens as follows. Casting deep shadows behind oversized furniture and statuary, Bright morning sunshine streamed through the expansive windows of Palpatine's office as Anakin sat, albeit restlessly, before the Chancellor's massive desk. Having exchanged greetings and pleasantries somewhat awkwardly due to Anakin's rather obvious discomfort with his surroundings, Palpatine asked, My boy, something seems to be bothering you. Are you comfortable? Supreme Chancellor, sir, I, to be honest, I haven't felt comfortable since Master Kenobi and I returned to Coruscant. Really? What seems to be the trouble? Anakin looked downward, casting his face in half-shadow, half-light. I'm always cold, and I don't feel welcome anywhere. The Council doesn't seem to want me at the Jedi Temple, and the other Padawans don't like me much. They ignore me or think I'm weird, and they know way more about the Force than I do. Plus, we can't even really have best friends, like me and Kitster used to be. And Master Kenobi is always saying, Anakin, Palpatine calmly interrupted. Hmm? I'm sorry, sir. Yes? You are most welcome here. I want us to be very good friends. Do you know why? N no, sir. Because, my boy, you are special. Perhaps the most special boy in the galaxy. Tell me, have any of these other Padawans ever driven a pod racer, let alone won the Boonta Eve Classic? Well, no. Back on Tatooine, they said that I'm the only human to ever even pilot a pod racer. I built the one that saved Padme and everyone. Qui-Gon and my mom were so... Anakin trailed off, trying to maintain the Jedi stoicism his master was constantly trying to instill in him. He bent his head down further, hoping the Chancellor wouldn't see the tears in his eyes. Anakin, look at me. His jaw set. Anakin locked eyes with Palpatine, a cold fire raging somewhere within him. You must realize, your chains are broken, young one. Did any of those Padawans single-handedly destroy a Trade Federation command ship the first time they were ever in a Naboo starfighter? Suddenly smiling so hard it hurt his face, Anakin laughed. No, most of them have never even been outside the temple. Well, there you are, son. You see, when you feel cold or unwelcome, focus on the things that make you happy. The things that make you great. The things that no one else can do, but you can. Because you are strong. And, as far as the Force goes, I'm no Jedi, but I do know a little about it. Would you like to hear a story? Sure. My mom used to tell me stories about sun dragons. They can fly anywhere they want, and they are so powerful, they can protect everyone, and they never die. That's good, Anakin. Good. In fact, in this story, which an old teacher of mine once told me, there are two dragons, and they are at war. Two dragons fighting? That's so wizard. Indeed. And their battle actually takes place within all of us, across the entire universe, actually. It is a terrible, eternal fight. One of the dragons is black as starless space, passionate, strong, powerful and free, hungry and proud. The other is pure light, peaceful, compassionate, 
wise and serene, selfless and generous. But if the Light One is so peaceful, why does he fight the Dark One? The sunlight shifted, shadowing Palpatine's face entirely. Because in his heart of hearts, the Light Dragon hates the Dark Dragon. He calls him unnatural, a blight that must be eradicated because the Dark One gains understanding through power instead of power through understanding. Why? If the Light Dragon is so generous, why is he worried about power? Because, my boy, all those who gain power are afraid to lose it. And the Light Dragon has gained all of his power through his so-called wisdom and compassion. So, the Light Dragon won't stop until the Dark Dragon is dead? Doesn't that mean the Dark Dragon has to kill the Light Dragon just to survive? That's the thing, Anakin. Neither dragon can ever be killed, and both of them live inside you and me. You see, they are the same dragon, at constant war with itself. But which side will win, the light or the dark? Well, that's easy, my boy. The one you feed. Maintaining his paternal demeanor while Anakin pondered this, Palpatine felt the force gathering within this boy, this apprentice. A terrible storm, raging, howling to be freed. Anakin's eyes narrowed slightly as he quietly asked, But, Chancellor, what if I am the dragon? Palpatine began to chuckle from within the shadow, a sound that quickly evolved into a wall of uproarious laughter that consumed Anakin, who couldn't help but join in, just as a cloud obscured Coruscant's sun, darkening the morning light. I base this story on the tale of two wolves, albeit with an appropriately Anakin twist at the end. Erroneously attributed to Native Americans for decades, this story of wolves was most likely invented by the Christian televangelist Billy Graham in the 1970s. Despite its fake lore status, this story also occasionally manifests in pop culture and is available for purchase on a variety of tacky posters and housewares. Arguably, the figures of Shin Hati and Balin Skull in the recent Ahsoka series at least partially represent it. This is because the Tale of Two Wolves theme of the universal conflict between dark and light resonates with the perennial mythological tension between the Dragon of Order and the Dragon of Chaos, discussed in Chapter 1. It is this same tension that drives the arc of Anakin Skywalker through the first six Star Wars films and all of their supporting media, from his conception to his redemption. Although Anakin's self-identification with the Sun Dragon, particularly its power and its furnace heart, may be new to some listeners, it was first established in Matthew Stover's brilliant novelization of Revenge of the Sith nearly two decades ago. More recently, Mike Chen has brought it into the Disney canon within his short stories in the From a Certain Point of View series and his excellent novel Brotherhood. Given the Cosmic Dragon's central role in the mythology the Eldritch Grimoire is constructing, we will learn much more about this in forthcoming chapters. In any case, central to this chapter is the fact that George Lucas embedded the keys to understanding Anakin in Episode 1, something that was and remains lost on most of its critics and even among many avowed Star Wars fans. In short, Anakin's overall journey, as well as his specific arc in Episode 1, reflect the mystical and pedagogical functions of myth defined in the preface. For Lucas, the primary mystical function of Star Wars is to foster in its viewers the understanding that nobody lives forever, 
and nothing is perfect. That is. You know, basically don't kill people yeah. and be compassionate and love people. And so that's basically all Star Wars is. Attachments and the selfishness that result from them are therefore fully expressed and embodied in the Sith. While the selflessness and adherence to cosmic dharma needed to let go of one's ego and attachments are represented by the ideals of the Jedi. As the latter is far more difficult than the former, we observe many characters move between these two poles, individually, collectively, and even galactically, from the prequels to the original trilogy era. None more spectacularly than Anakin. In terms of the pedagogical function of Star Wars mythology, Lucas's main goal is to instill in his viewers a sense of generational responsibility. Thus, in the prequels, we observe the unraveling of the Republic and the existing order. This occurs due to one of Lucas's mythological sub-themes, the eternal return. Specifically, all systems in Star Wars move through periods of creation, growth, decline, and destruction. In political collectives such as the Republic and religious orders akin to the Jedi, this process is driven by the thirst for and accumulation and expression of power, even if unconsciously. The prequels therefore demonstrate the decline and destruction of these systems, which are mirrored by their creation and growth in the original trilogy. Anakin, as the hero and protagonist of the prequel trilogy, manifests this cosmic decline and destruction, just as Luke embodies its creation and growth in the original trilogy. That is, both Anakin's progeny and Darth Vader are born from sin, from Anakin's actions after his fall to the dark side that ultimately lead to the final destruction of the Republic and himself. As the Eternal Return is cyclical, so are Vader and the Skywalker twins created from this destruction, ultimately leading to balance in the Force and the creation of the New Republic. Along this path, the generational irresponsibility of the Jedi, Yoda, and Obi-Wan in the prequels is matched by these figures' fulfillment of their resulting responsibility to the next generation in the original trilogy, completing their respective arcs and cycles. Since the decline of the cosmos is expressed through Anakin, as a virgence in the Force created by the midichlorians, the child we meet in Episode 1 is ironically the most compassionate, the most selfless, the most Jedi version of the character we ever encounter. Terry Brooks' novelization of The Phantom Menace provides detailed insights into Anakin at this stage of life and elaborates far more narrative details than the film is able to. Hence, before Qui-Gon and the others arrive on Tatooine in Episode 1, we find that nine-year-old Anakin fully trusts his intuition and instincts. For example, Anakin accepts his current status as a slave because he can feel that one day he and his mother will be free. He also trusts his dreams because they always come true, and he unconsciously feels at one with the whole, with the Force, when he pilots his pod racer, something no human has ever been able to do before. Young Anakin's only real goal, then, is to be free, to liberate his mother and himself, and to travel the stars, to be the sun dragon that Shmi believed him to be. Because he is empathetic, compassionate, and incredibly loyal, Anakin is also an excellent negotiator. He always finds a way to improve the lives of everyone around him and lacks any attachment to money or goods. As Qui-Gon and Shmi discuss, He gives without any thought of reward. Well, he knows nothing of greed.
This is why Anakin freely and instantly offers the pod racer he has spent two years building from scraps, sometimes at great risk to himself, to Qui-Gon and Padme. Accordingly, while Anakin is obviously attached to his mother, he must be taught to fear her loss. Within the bounds of Mos Espa and the Great Dune Sea, pre-adolescent Anakin is at peace. It will be the last period in his life when this is the case, when even the ills of slavery and dangers such as the Tusken Raiders are simply obstacles to be overcome, because Anakin always finds a way. Anakin's endless compassion also entails that he is loyal to people, not to principles or nebulous abstractions like peace or, for that matter, the Republic, and that all he expects in return is such loyalty. Through the Force, Anakin becomes aware that he will marry Padme someday, solidifying the nascent attachment he feels the first time he meets her, which is continually intensified by their time together on Tatooine. However, when it seems that he will lose Padme, young Anakin rapidly descends into a violent rage. Qui-Gon is able to quiet this rage by counseling him toward the right course of actions and assuring him to trust his instincts, making him feel comforted. Such instruction stands in stark contrast to the seemingly endless scolding and berating that will inform how Obi-Wan teaches Anakin in the years to come. Anakin's fundamental inner conflict between his desires and Jedi ethics, between the Dragon of Chaos and the Dragon of Order, is therefore kindled within him well before his formal Jedi instruction begins, even before he leaves Tatooine. Its first spark thus opens a crack in the invincible sun dragon armor surrounding his heart. Still bathed in the light side and the afterglow of his mother's love, his attachment to Padme and his novel fear of losing her and Qui-Gon, the quasi-father he has heretofore lacked, fuel the anger and the fear that the Jedi Council senses within Anakin when deliberating on whether to train him. On some level, Anakin is also able to sense the shroud of the dark side descending over the Jedi Order. These newly established attachments drive Anakin to vow that he will keep his new companions, Padme and Qui-Gon most of all, safe during the ensuing conflict with the Trade Federation on Naboo. As a result, he loses himself within the Force while piloting a Naboo starfighter, destroying the command ship and saving his friends, albeit with the brutal exception of Qui-Gon. As we know, this has inevitable galactic consequences. Further foreshadowing the rest of his life, in Episode 1, Anakin saves his friends and obtains his goal by means of thousands of deaths. Although accepted to the Jedi Academy, partly as a result of these actions, Anakin achieves this aim in exchange for the death of Qui-Gon, the loss of his mother, and his separation from Padme. In effect, nine-year-old Anakin, for whom social connection, loyalty, and compassion are paramount, is left cold, lonely, and isolated as a Padawan in Coruscant, widening the cracks in his sun dragon armor, allowing the dark side and its shadow, Palpatine, to gain a foothold in his heart. Moreover, Anakin achieves victory for the Naboo by becoming one with the machine. His initial connection to the Force, surrendering himself to it, enabling first his pod racer and later the Naboo starfighter to become an extension of himself, of his sun dragon heart, is darkly reflected in later events. That is, when disfigured Anakin Skywalker gives himself fully to the dark side, enabling his full, yellow-eyed command of his remaining midichlorians, the black, somewhat unwieldy life-supporting armor he is imprisoned in becomes an extension of himself, transformed into a death-dealing nightmare carapace that is as much a part of the Dark Lord of the Sith 
as the rage-filled remains of Anakin's body and soul, giving birth to a novel manifestation of the Dragon of Chaos, Darth Vader. Anakin Skywalker's arc is therefore a circle of fate, a dharmic cycle that is driven by his destiny, his karma, upon which the fate of the galaxy hinges. His divine birth entails not only that he is born perfectly equipped for his fated task, to bring balance to the Force, but also that his destiny, shaped by his actions and those around him, shapes the path that he, and with him the galaxy, must traverse towards this ultimate destination. With regard to the relation of Anakin's beginning and end to the mystical function of myth, just as the Force is in constant motion, shifting from light to dark as it creates and destroys reality, so does Anakin gradually shift into Vader and finally revert to Anakin once his cosmic duty is fulfilled. Notably, Luke ends the original trilogy where Anakin begins the prequels, as the best Jedi he will ever be, the balanced sun dragon Shmi always believed Anakin to be, establishing the basis for the eternal return to begin anew in a sequel trilogy that never was. Accordingly, in our own lives, we must accept that light and dark are constants on both cosmic and personal levels. Neither can ever be wholly eliminated, but by learning to let go of our attachments amid the ephemeral nature of being, we can become better, more balanced versions of ourselves. Fate decrees when we are born and when we die, but we are the agents of our own destiny. That is, we decide how we live, how we confront the cosmic serpent on our own terms, without being devoured by it. Finally, in terms of the pedagogical function of myth, Anakin's trajectory in Episode 1 suggests that children, no matter how gifted, should be allowed to develop on their own terms. To foster generational responsibility, parents and mentors should guide their children and wards on their own paths, rather than coercing them to travel existing ones. To trust their instincts via a carefully shaped moral framework before surrendering to the cold ethics of systems and rules. In short, to enable them to turn to the light and its representatives while limiting their vulnerability to the dark and its agents. Furthermore, children must be wary of their wishes coming true, their whims and desires being fulfilled too quickly, as the unforeseen costs and consequences of such things tend to be at once vast and irreversible. This concludes Chapter 2 of The Eldritch Grimoire. Good journey, my friends. <laughs>